Please turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. It is a blessing to be before you and to look to God's Word and to consider what He has for us. We believe that God's Word is inspired and it speaks to us in the pages of Holy Scripture. This evening we return to our series that we've titled Shadows of Christ from the Old Testament. Once again, we're dropping in on a different book of the Bible, the book of Ezekiel. This book might be one that slows you down a little bit if you're reading through the Old Testament. There are things that may be a little difficult to understand as you consider some of the visions and images that Ezekiel uses. It's a long book, it's a prophetic book, and um, as we look at the Old Testament prophets, some of those prophets spoke to the nation of Israel, to the people of God, before the exile. Remember the time that they spent in Babylon, God's judgment upon them. Other prophets, like Malachi, wrote after the return from the Babylonian exile, and he and others would often warn them and kind of bring their attention to the judgment that has already happened as a warning to the people of God. However, Ezekiel, where we will be this evening, wrote during the exile. He answered God's call and assumed his prophetic role just a few years after the Israelites were carried into captivity. He was a priest and also a prophet. He displays a great deal of knowledge about the temple, even though for much of his ministry, at least, um, the temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And it, this book st stands as a turning point in the history of biblical prophecy. Because in the first section, it calls for repentance in the light of coming judgment. And then in later sections, it calls for repentance by promising restoration. And we see in our text that... This restoration involved not just a restoration to the land, but that God's people, the sheep of Israel, would be rescued, fed, and restored at the hand of Yahweh, at the hand of God himself, their shepherd. Our text comes after Ezekiel has warned God's people of judgment. He's also spent chapters 25 through 32, sending a warning to the surrounding nations. And here in chapter 34, we'll read the first 24 verses. He um, condemns Israel's leaders and points them forward to a time that they will be under one good shepherd. So let us read our text, but before we do, let us pray and ask God's blessing upon the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we look to you and we thank you for your word. We delight in it and we ask that it would become even more dear to us as we study it, as we read it, as we memorize it, as we hide it in our hearts and as we seek to live by its precepts. Bless our time this evening as we look at Ezekiel 34. And Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, Lord, would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Ezekiel 34, beginning with verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, all shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but, like, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I... I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among, the sheep, among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture shall they feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. It is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. 
If you're like me, and I trust that if you have young children, that you are teaching them Psalm 23, which starts with those familiar words, the Lord is my shepherd. This idea of God being the shepherd of Israel is something that is sprinkled throughout the pages of Scripture, even from the book of Genesis, where Jacob recognized that God had been his shepherd in his many travels and journeys. It was an illustration that King David liked to use in Psalm 23, as we mentioned, also in Psalm 28, and it's, it's used in a little different way in Psalm 95. It was also used to describe and to refer to the kings of Israel in their rule over the people because they were called to rule the people with care and to protect them from invading forces of the surrounding nations in a way that's similar to the way a shepherd cares for and protects his flock. I want us to consider this text under three headings. The, firstly, the failure of the past shepherds. Second, the role of the divine shepherd. And finally, the identity of the coming shepherd. The failure of the past shepherds, the role of the divine shepherd, and the identity of the coming shepherd. We said that the kings in Israel and in Judah were referred to as shepherds. That was true of other surrounding nations in the ancient Near East. But if you remember the history of Israel and the line of kings, in, um, especially as the, as the kingdoms divided to the, between the north and the south, and, and if, if you're like me, it, it seems like sometimes as you read about the kings of Israel and Judah, they kind of run together. But if, if you read it through holistically, you realize that there was a lot of sinful, wicked kings. And what we see in these first in these opening verses, especially verses 1 through 10 of our text, is God's judgment upon these shepherds, upon these leaders that were supposed to love and care for and protect the people of God. This passage is, is interestingly very similar to the passage that Reverend King preached a couple weeks ago from Jeremiah 23. And it, it speaks of God's judgment and his warning to the leaders of Israel who had led God's people astray. In both passages, we see that it was by the means of the exile, where they were invaded by Babylon and carried many of them. A few were left in the land, but many and most of God's people were carried into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. We see that it was God's judgment upon them. But consider what these kings have done. And it gives us very vivid language in our text. And we're going to look at it broadly as we think about the sin of the nation, of the leaders of the nation of Israel and Judah. First, we see that they fed themselves without nourishing the flock. It was the role of the shepherds to take the sheep to pasture, to be in a place where they could feed safely, where they could receive the nourishment that they needed. But instead of thinking about the sheep, these shepherds, these leaders, these kings, were more concerned with feeding themselves. Now, there was no harm in the, in the shepherd enjoying the wool of some of his sheep. That's what sheep provide. They provide wool. But in this, in this context, we see that what these shepherds, what these kings had done is they were much more concerned with feeding themselves than providing nourishment for the sheep. 
The abuses included, as one commentator said, slaughtering the best and scattering the rest. I think that's a good summation of, of what they had done and the indictment that God brings against them in these opening verses. They exploited the sheep. They, they exhibited ruthless self-interest in what was supposed to be their care of them. Consider King Asa, who, who was largely a good king, and many of the things that he did pleased the Lord, yet later in his, in his life, he made alliances. Instead of trusting in God for safety, he thought he needed to make alliances with surrounding nations, and God was displeased. He oppressed some of his own people, and he was angry at God for the judgment that God brought upon him for his sin. These kings that are described in these opening verses, they ruled with harshness instead of the loving care that should mark a concerned and diligent shepherd. Look with me at verse 4 in these, in these repeated phrases. Uh, the, the cadence of it is striking. It says, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness, you have ruled them. They cared only for themselves. They cared only for their own advancement. They were not concerned about guarding, protecting, and feeding God's sheep. God is concerned with his sheep. Twelve times in this passage we have read in the ESV, twelve times God calls them my sheep. And he is jealous for his people. He loves his people. And these shepherds, these kings that had been set over them, were failing in their duty. And God says, I will remove you. They were called to be shepherds as under-shepherds of the great shepherd. Much like our own elders in our own congregation are under-shepherds of the great shepherd. We serve under the oversight of our king we recognize, and this text reminds us, that, that you are God's sheep. And, and we as your elders are called to protect and to nurture and to care for God's people. However, the kings described in our text, are, Ezekiel is rebuking them at the word of the Lord because they served with harshness and self-interest. Think about Rehoboam, one of the first kings, uh, the son of Solomon. And we know that Solomon's, uh, uh, as the son of David, he ruled in a time of great richness and prosperity. Um, but he had raised the taxes. And when Rehoboam was ready to assume the throne, he sought the counsel of others, saying, what should we do? Well, the older men, they were compassionate to the people of God. They, they understood the stress that they were under, and they, and, and they told Rehoboam, when you become king, you should lower the taxes. But what did he do? Instead, he listened to the young counselors, and this is what he said. Listen to these harsh words that he said. He said that, Whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to you your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpion. What scorn, what harshness he ruled the sheep of God. So not only did these shepherds feed themselves instead of nourishing the people, and not only did they rule with harshness, but they also allowed the sheep to be scattered instead of gathering them together for safety. 
It's clear in the text in verses 5 and 6. We won't read it again. But it's clear there that they cared nothing for the sheep. They cared not for their protection. They allowed them to be scattered. A good shepherd knows that sheep are safest when they're gathered together. When one is out on their own, there's a special risk. It's a a significant risk because there's, there's safety to being together and to being under the care of the shepherd. Sounds a little bit like the church. We need each other. We need to be drawn together. We need to be in each other's lives because there's safety in relationships in the church. The sheep in this passage were vulnerable. They were easily led astray. And few of the kings of Israel and Judah were willing to tear down the idols and the high places that led the people to idolatry. Only a few had the backbone to eradicate the the false worship in the land that so often plagued the people of Israel. And God said he would intervene. And this is what he says he will do. And that brings us to our second point, the role of the divine shepherd. God speaking through the voice and the pen of Ezekiel says in verses 8 through 10, he says... As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. God says he was against the shepherds. And he'll do something in defense of the sheep. And what he says he will do, he says, I will be their shepherd. He says, I myself, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. You shepherds, you kings, you rulers that have cared only for yourself... And worshiping false gods have scattered the sheep. But I will gather them together, says the Lord. I will shepherd them myself. And we'll look at this again in in rather broad categories. And four things that he says he will do. He will rescue them. He will feed them. He will heal them. And then, interestingly, he will disciple and judge them. First of all, he will rescue his sheep, not ravage them. These sinful kings have taken advantage of the sheep, the the people of Israel. They needed rescued from their enemies, and instead they made alliances with enemies, and they allowed the sheep to be scattered. This imagery was especially relevant to the people of God who had been taken captive in Babylon. They were scattered from their homeland. They certainly felt vulnerable in this foreign land under a foreign dictator. They needed to be gathered together. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, God says, I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. He, he sets a picture of the ominous clouds in the sky and, and recognizes the sheep are in a place where they need rec- rescued. Jesus, of course, used these terms in Luke 19.10 when he said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I ask you this evening, 
Do you need rescued? Do you see and feel the, the clouds of, of discouragement or the darkness of your own sin? Have you been scattered to a far off country? God is in the business of rescuing lost and wandering sheep. Our text goes on to show us that God, who is the great shepherd, feeds his sheep. He, he cares for them. He um, gives them nourishment. Jacob and Joseph knew of God's shepherding care. And David spoke of this so beautifully in Psalm 23, speaking of, of how he leads me beside still waters. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and restores his soul. Isaiah portrayed it beautifully in chapter 40, verse 11, where he says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom. And he shall gently lead those that are with young. God, of course, sustained his people and fed them in the wilderness for 40 years with manna from heaven. And that was a, a picture and a symbol of God's provision that carried throughout Israel's history, even to us as those who are grafted into the people of God. And it should remind us of God's care in feeding his people. God has promised to meet our physical needs. He invites us, yea, even commands us to pray, to give us this day our daily bread. And as Pastor Mir reminded us this morning, that all of our spiritual needs and all of our heavenly blessings are met in Christ Jesus. He will feed his flock. Not only does the great shepherd feed the sheep, but he also heals them. Verse 16 says that he will bind up the injured, that he will strengthen the weak. God's people had suffered under these wicked kings, under these shepherds. and They were in exile. They had sinned, but they had also been sinned against. The picture here is of a flock who had been neglected and exploited. They were weak. They were wounded. They were sick. They were sore. They were a picture of a people who had been damaged and scarred by sin. Sin ruins lives. Sin harms us. Sin leaves us battered and bruised. And God is saying that he will bind up the bruised. That he will heal the broken. Those that are battered, he will, he will nourish back to health. He'll bring healing to the sick and the injured sheep. Are you bruised and broken by sin tonight? If so, I invite you to come to Christ. To come to the Lord God who says that he will be the shepherd that binds up and heals those who are broken. Perhaps it's not your own sin, but perhaps someone has sinned against you that has left you bruised and deeply scarred. Our great shepherd comes to bring healing. He loves his sheep. He has come to bind up their wounds and to heal them. Not only does God promise to rescue, feed, and heal, he says that he will disciple and judge the sheep. And that's kind of interesting because we, we think of these, these first things that he says as, as, as sweet and comforting, and they are, and they should be to us. But there's also an element in here, in this text, in which there is some discipline. There is some judgment. And this is not just the judgment that we saw in the opening verses. This is a judgment between sheep and sheep, as it says in verse 22. In the, in this is verses 16, the second half of 16 through 22. 
he says that he will feed them in justice. He will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Now, if you've ever been around animals, and if you've watched, uh, I, I've, I've had the privilege of, of helping to feed farm animals from time to time in my life a few years ago. And if you've ever been around farm animals, you know that there's always often, uh, anyway, a jockeying for position at the food trough. And there's usually uh, one or two that is the first in line, and they'll be pushing, as our text says, with side and shoulder and with with horn and head to get in there to be first at the trough. When I was a young man, my, my father always had some cattle because he was raised on a farm and, and just kind of kept that tradition going. And I was probably about 14 or 15, and it was about this time of year, and there'd been a lot of rain in the spring, and there was this one particular cow who was always pushing the other cows out of the way to get to the feeding trough, and I thought she needed a good swift kick. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that my, my anger was not righteous at that time. But, but God gave me a moment. Fortunately, nobody, I don't think, saw me. But I lifted my foot to give her a kick. And my boot stayed in the manure and mud. And I was standing there on one leg, embarrassed and, and at, at myself for the ridiculousness of, uh, ridiculousness of the moment. And I decided I needed to put my foot back in my boot and let her be. But that is just to illustrate that... That there are those who push for places of prominence. And this can be true in the church as well. That there are those that push for a place of prominence. The church is sometimes not that much different. And the Lord, speaking through the prophet, warns the sheep, essentially saying that it isn't not enough that I feed you on good pasture. You think you have to go and graze in another place? You've been discontented with what you've been given. You're muddying the waters as you traipse around when displeasure. Does your discontent lead to grumbling? Are you muddying the waters for other believers because you're seeking to be somewhere that God has not placed you? I think there's a lesson for us in the church here. The judgment of these verses is between sheep and sheep, as it says in verse 22. And even sheep that have been rescued and fed and healed and gathered together still need discipled and sometimes need disciplined. And that is, again, one of the job of the elders of the church is to look out for and sometimes bring the discipline of the church upon them. And that's why we need God's word. Really, discipline it begins with the preaching of God's word. And when we are eager to receive God's word, we can be discipled, we can be disciplined by God's word as we receive it and as we pray over it and as we seek God's face and seek to be conformed to the image of Christ through the preaching of the word. We need to eagerly receive the word as food for our souls and instruction for our life. And we do need the oversight, oversight of elders, the under-shepherds. In Peter's epistle, they are called the shepherds of God's flock who serve under the chief shepherd. And perhaps Peter had Ezekiel 34 in mind when he warned the elders in the church where he said, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples 
to the flock. 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. God is the ultimate judge. Here in Ezekiel, he judged the shepherds, but he also judges the sheep while he is feeding and tending them. Part of his loving care is to form them into sheep that they need to be to reflect his image. But how will he do this? How will God shepherd his sheep? What is the instrument that he will use? And that brings us to our third point, the identity of the coming shepherd. We've already heard good news in that, in that God himself will shepherd his sheep, but this is where it really gets good. Verse 23 says that God will set a shepherd over them. And we have to ask, and, and I know you're already ahead of me, but, but follow along with me here as we consider who is this shepherd. The first thing that the text tell us, tells us about this shepherd is that he is one. It will be an individual, one person. There had been a long line of failing kings up to this point that had led the people into idolatry and, and, and God's judgment had come upon them and they, they were in exile. But Ezekiel is pointing them forward to say, there will be one shepherd over my people. We must note that this shepherd will be called my servant. This should take you back to the passages in Isaiah that Pastor Mir preached on a few weeks ago. And, and it, it points to the service and the suffering and the exaltation of this one called the servant of the Lord. And while those passages are not explicit in naming who that person is that they describe, they point to a figure who will be a priest who suffers and atones for the sins of his people. He will be one who brings justice, who gathers Israel back to himself, one who is a light to the nations, one who will act wisely, the one who was despised and rejected of men, called the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He is the one who is chosen. He will bear the sins of his people. But wait, there's more. It says he will be my servant, David. Now, if you understand the chronology of Scripture, you recognize that the captivity happened in around 580 B.C. that, that Ezekiel is likely writing, around 400 years after King David had reigned. And nearly all of David's descendants had died, and, and, and it was actually David's many of David's descendants who were receiving the judgment in the opening passage here. But uh, there was one king that sort of ruled in exile, Jehoiachin. But remember God's promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, where he said, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your, th your throne shall be established forever. So God's people were looking for one, for a son of David that would be this one of promise, one of the lineage of David to rule over them because of God's promise to David in 2 Samuel 7. Remember the angel told Mary in Luke 1 that the one born to her would be great and would be called the son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So this can be none other than great David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As is recorded in the Gospels, he is a descendant of the king of David. Yet he was the one greater than David. 
He's the one our text here calls a prince among them. And we know that he is actually our king. Psalm 2 calls him my king. And this is none other than the Messiah, King Jesus. He is the one shepherd. He is the one who calls himself in John 10, the good shepherd. And if you for a, ma- a minute doubt the divinity of Christ, read John 10 in light of Ezekiel 34. And you'll recognize there can be no doubt that Christ is God. In John 10, they said that Jesus was mad and that he must have a demon. And they later, because he spoke in the terms that he did, and later in that same chapter, they picked up stones and they were ready to stone him because of what he was saying. Jesus is the one shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And immediately after his proclamation of being the good shepherd in John 10, 11, he says that he lays down his life for the sheep. How does this shepherd rescue his people? How does he feed them? How does he heal and deliver and gather his sheep? He does it by the sacrifice of himself. This is the one who was smitten of God and afflicted, as Isaiah said. This is the one on whom God has laid the iniquity of us all. Don't you just love the the beauty and the nuance that these Old Testament passages give to us as we read the, the New Testament accounts of Christ, as we recognize who he is in light of what the prophets have said. He's the good shepherd. He's the one true shepherd. He's the one that perfectly obeyed God's law. And he rules with justice and righteousness. He is the one who's laid down his life for his sheep. And I want to say tonight, if you do not know him as your shepherd and as your savior, come to Christ today. He is the one who has sacrificed himself, who has given himself for the life of his sheep to, so that he might gather his sheep in, so that he might feed them, so that he might protect them, so that he might bring them to himself and gather us to his home above. I leave you with just a couple verses from a song which says, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready waits to save you, full of pity, love, and power. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Come, you weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners, Jesus came to call. If you do not know him, come to Christ If you are in Christ, recognize the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus has made. That God has said, I will be a shepherd to my people. And he has appointed over his sheep one shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given himself a ransom for us. Let us pray.